this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus no matter what you're going through today. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. That's the claim that it makes about itself. Is the scripture sharp in your life or has it become dull? Has it become powerless? Why is the Bible important as we build our house? Well, this is the second part in this new series that I'm calling Superstructure, and it's all about uh, helping you build your house. You know, we spent the first half of the year or so really making sure we knew the foundation that we were building on, that we knew Jesus Christ. He is the only thing worth building on. And since that time, we've kind of relaunched this whole idea of building our house uh, by talking about this superstructure, the part above the ground, the part that you can see, what are you building with? You know, this has really kind of been a, the heartbeat of your pastor for a year. Uh, I really want to see us build because the storm is raging and I want your house to stand. I want you to stand. I want your family to stand. And so we're building this house. And my whole idea in this series is that the materials that you use to build your house with determine the quality and the value of your house, right? I mean, it's all in the building materials. It's all in what you're building with. So I want us just to take some time and kind of go back to the, you know, theological basics. You know, what is it that we're building? What are we making? What are we forming um, our building around? What's forming our thoughts? How are those even formed? And what's that all about? So. Last Sunday, if you weren't here, uh, you missed kind of one of my favorite messages ever. Uh, it was this idea of returning to the big picture, of kind of zooming way out and looking at why God created the universe in the first place. And what's that all about? What's the reason behind it? And what's really happening uh, with creation, with all of our existence and at the end. What's the overarching big picture? So we looked at that last week. Man, if you missed it last week, I really encourage you to go back and to check that. It's on our website. I would love for you to be able to catch that because it puts everything into perspective. My, my, my whole objective was to really put God in his place. You know, just to really make sure that we saw who is over this whole thing, that his plan is always better than my plan every time. Can I get an amen? amen. His plan is always, always better. And so uh, we want to think rightly about God and about ourselves and about everything that's going on around us. We want to think well about it. We want to make sure our thoughts are formed rightly as we are building our house. So I wanna kinda of look at that a little bit more today. You know, last week I kinda of said near the beginning that when we are looking at our lives and the universe and everything, that the scripture is our ultimate authority about all of that, right? I mean, it's the scripture, it's the Bible that is our ultimate authority, you know, that it, because it's God's word to us. And so I wanted to talk a little bit today, if it's okay with you, a little bit today about that authority, about the word of God and its place 
in our lives. Do you have a copy of a Bible? Do you have one? Do you, do you have one? Because you know, the Bible is uh, the most prolific book ever on the planet. There's been more copies of the Bible printed than any other book ever in history. It's available in every language. And man, you and I are beyond blessed because in English alone, it's available in a ton of different translations. Nobody can tell you exactly how many translations there are, but there's a ton of them out there. And a lot of them are good. A lot of them are good. Uh, most of them are actually really good in an attempt to be faithful to the original word of God. We're blessed to be able to have such access to it. Not only is it available in different translations and a bunch of copies of it printed, they'll give you one for free. I mean, you can, you can get a free Bible all over the place. We'll give you one for free. The Gideons give them out for free. You saw that last week. <coughs> I mean, it's just, it's available all over the place, but not only is a printed version available free, but I mean, all of the versions are available for you for free digitally too. You can carry it around with you in your pocket on your mobile device and always have it at your fingertips. I mean, the scripture is out there for us all over the place, all over the place. You almost can't escape it in America today because it's everywhere. And on that day when Joshua was being called by God to take over from Moses. Moses had led the people out of Egypt in their slavery, and he had led them into the um, into the wilderness. And for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness kind of because they had to pay for what they'd done. So they were wandering, but they're about to cross, finally about to cross into the promised land. And God called Joshua, you take over from Moses. Um, it's your responsibility now to lead the people. And here's what God says to Joshua. In Joshua 1.8, he says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Yeah, if you want to lead my people, if you want to build something, if you want to be effective at what you're doing, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. In Jewish culture, the whole idea of having the scripture was that you will be just bathed in it, immersed in it. I mean, the scripture describes how you and I are to write it on our hands, to have it on our foreheads, we're to put it on our doorposts so that we see it going in and out. We are to be talking about it when we wake up and when we go to bed at night and all in between. We're to be teaching our children the word of God. We're just, it's supposed to be all over us, all about us. We're supposed to be all in it, saturated it, consuming it all the time, always in the word of God, consuming it in our lives. Did I ask if you had a copy of God's word? Do you have a copy? Because if, if you don't have a copy, we can get you one, but man, you have access to it like crazy. Would you say that you consume the word of God? 
Here's what I think for us in America in the 21st century. I think that we all have plenty. I mean, we have, you and I have access to it like nobody ever in history. We have access to it here in America like nobody else in the entire world. And I think we're consumed with everything except the scripture. I think we're consumed with our day-to-day lives, consumed with kids on sports teams, consumed with busyness, consumed with drama, hello Facebook, consumed with all of the things that are just always chewing on our lives, consumed with Fox News, consumed with the internet, consumed with whatever it is and we get all caught up in it. And what happens to us is we get all caught up in all the drama, all the activity, all the busy, and life seems to kind of get out of control for us a lot of times, you know? I mean, I got somebody that I just found out, uh, she was supposed to be in our new life class today, but she didn't wake up in time. She was probably consumed with a lot of other stuff. And so guess what? God gets second place. She's not gonna make it because of all the other stuff going on in her life. We get consumed with everything and it overwhelms us from time to time and we get a little nuts about it. You know, we get worried, we get stressed, we get fearful. Is this all gonna fall apart? How am I gonna deal with this broken marriage? How am I gonna, how am I gonna uh, get by this week? And we get all worried and so what we do with the word of God is instead of consuming it, we sprinkle it on a little bit. We just kind of sprinkle it on like it's salt in a salt shaker. We just kind of, we kind of go to it for a quick fix, right? And we just hope, we hope we can get to one of our favorite little beautiful nuggets. You know, let's let's go to the Psalms because it says some beautiful things in there and maybe that will fix this. Or let's go to the Proverbs. There's a lot of wisdom nuggets in there. If we can just grab a wisdom nugget, maybe we can fix this. And rather than consuming it, here's what I want to say. In fact, it's the first blank on your page. When it comes to the Bible, we don't consume it. I think we consumer it. We consumer it. We act like good 21st century Americans, and we treat it like it was a miracle diet pill. You know, we saw the commercial, we know it'll help us. And so, you know, if you take this pill, you can lose 50 pounds by lunchtime. So for three easy installments of 1999, you can get a three month subscription for some reason of this diet pill that'll let you lose 50 pounds by lunchtime. And so we feel like if we just take the pill, it'll fix the problem. We don't consume it, we consumer it. See, I think we approach the Bible exactly backwards. Because I don't think God's plan in giving us this generous, very, very comprehensive word, I don't think his plan was ever for it to be used as a series of sound bites in our life. I don't think he ever designed it to be a reference book of how to fix our problems. I don't think he ever designed it to be a devotional grab bag, just pick a verse and maybe that'll be the verse that God uses in your life today. I don't think that's how God designed it at all, yet I feel like that's kind of the way we use it most 
of the time, we approach it with this idea of how can I use this to fix me? What's in this for me? How can this help me today? And I think we're approaching it backwards. In other words, let me just ask you the question, why do you think the Bible is about you? Why do you think it's about you? Is your name in there? Mine is, and it's about a guy who got killed for what he believed. So, uh-oh, if it's about me, I'm in trouble. <laughs> so the Bible isn't here to reveal you. I mean, I hope you see yourself in there. I hope you can find yourself in there. But there's something much, much more that the Bible is doing in us and through us than showing me how to fix my problems. So before Joshua, before God called Joshua, he called a, another guy named Moses. Moses, who at the time, you, you know where Moses was when God found him. He was a loser nobody hiding in the desert. He was a shepherd taking care of sheep. And the guy must have been lonely because he's literally out there all by himself day after day in the heat, in the desert, watching sheep. I can't think of things more boring than watching sheep. Oh, look, that one said, bah, ooh. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on, he's just out there watching sheep and God shows up and speaks to him and says this amazing thing. Hey, you nobody, you shepherd out here in the wilderness, I'm calling you to go back into Egypt and speak to him and free my people. You go speak to the Pharaoh and you tell him to let my people go. And I love, I love Moses' response. Look at this in Exodus 3. Moses protested to God. Anybody here ever protest to God? Anybody protest God? Advice, don't. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just telling you, don't. But I love that God will listen to our protest. You know, here's what I've learned in my life. I, I've protested against God. I've protested against his call in my life. And I had to learn the hard way that, oh yeah, once again, I'm wrong and you're right. Right, I learned that every time. That's what I learned when I protest against God, it's usually not God's mind that changes. <laughs> it's usually mine. And here's Moses protesting to God and he says, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead People, I can't even hardly lead these sheep here. Who am I to lead these? I mean, I'm just a nobody loser out here in the desert. Don't you know who I am? I mean, I, I, I'm not a leader. I'm a shepherd of sheep. Uh, I'm not, I, who am I to go before the Pharaoh? I'm a shepherd. And don't you even know why I'm out here? I'm out here in the desert in the first place because I'm hiding from the Pharaoh. Because I'm a murderer. I killed a man and I ran out here to get away 
from the consequences of my own actions. Who am I? Is God's word revealing who Moses is? Here's how God responds the next thing. He says, yeah, I will be with you. God's answer is I will be with you. In other words, of course you can't. Of course you're incapable. You don't have the ability. You don't have the capacity. You don't have the education. You don't have the status. You don't, you don't have the right to go before Pharaoh. Who are you? It doesn't matter who you are. I will be with you. This isn't about you, Moses. Who do you think you are? Don't even argue with me. This is about me and what I can do through the lonely loser shepherd murderer. In other words, what I'm trying to show you here is the next blank on your page. God's word reveals God. It doesn't reveal you, it reveals God. Yeah, you see yourself there, and the more you see of God, I believe the more you'll realize who you really are. That's why I preached that sermon last week. My hope was to elevate him up high because I believe the higher you see him to be, the more you realize who you are. God's word reveals God. Paul's writing to his little apprentice, Timothy, and he says this in 2 Timothy 3. He says, you've been taught by, sorry, you've been taught the holy scriptures from childhood and they've given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. That's good, he says, because all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses his word to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. God's word is the instrument that he uses applied to you to turn you into his people doing every good work. Dude, if you're going to be able to do what God wants you to do, it's gonna be through it, his word, what he wants to use in your life. So the word is what we should value here more than just about anything else other than the presence of God himself. It's the word of God. John, the apostle, explains why he's writing what we now call the gospel of John. And he says, these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Yeah, the scripture is written to all point to one central figure, and that's Jesus Christ. It's written so that you'll know him. This is about him. When you sprinkle it in here and there, you really easily miss the big picture of who he is and what he's doing in our lives. Sprinkling it gets just a very, very, you got to do the long read. You don't want the incomplete picture of the sprinkle. You want the long read. I, I read back through some of Genesis again just this week, and I'm remembering how difficult it is when you just read snippets. 
Because, you know, after you get past creation, you get to the fall and you figure out really quickly the message of the Bible is that all of this incredible glory and majesty that God created, including the apex of it all, you human beings in the image of God, you who he calls very good, you who he is very pleased with, who he placed here to represent him, to speak and to act on his behalf, to reflect his glory, you are the apex of all of his creation, well, that came to a crashing disaster, right? Everything falls when we rebel against God and we create nothing but a mess of what he's made. And we just have made a disaster of all of it and it's all a failure. There's separation between us and God. There's judgment now. God judges sin and all of us are sinners. It's all just a big mess and it's all coming to a, a sure disaster for all of us. And so if you're reading Genesis in, in little sound bites and little snippets after that, from there to the end of Genesis, Genesis 50, you start thinking, oh, how, how, how are they gonna fix this? How are they gonna fix it? And Genesis shows us story after story to answer this question, right? That seems like, how are they gonna fix this? So maybe, maybe, you think Noah is gonna fix this because Noah responds to God. He builds the ark in the dry land and he is successful at getting the animals in and the flood comes and the ark makes it and it finally lands on dry land days and days, weeks and weeks, months later, it finally lands and the animals all come out. Noah builds an altar to God, well done, good job. Maybe Noah is the one that will fix this for all of us. But by the end of the story, Noah ends up drunk and naked in his tent, an embarrassment to his family and to everybody. Maybe Abraham, Abraham comes along and, and maybe he's the one, you know, God calls him and says, okay, I'm gonna use you. I'm gonna make you the father of many nations. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring a deliverer from you. Maybe Abraham's the guy. And so he, he follows God and obeys God. Maybe he's gonna be the one. But in order to obey God, he cuts a lot of corners. He be, actually betrays God several times. I mean, not the least of which is he, more or less pimps out his wife to protect himself. He's not the guy, not gonna fix it. You know, his sons, his sons are just as bad or worse. But then it gets down to, you know, Joseph and Joseph, maybe this guy, maybe this kid will be the one because his story is the most extensive story in all of Genesis, you know? And so he just goes on and on about Joseph and you see him potentially being the miracle deliverer because, you know, he's the favored son, but then his own brothers beat him up and throw him in the pit and then they sell him. He becomes a slave. He gets carried off to another land into Egypt and he goes there and he goes from being a slave to being a falsely accused prisoner. Then he's forgotten about in prison, but then miraculously, God, God delivers him out of prison and through interpreting dreams, Pharaoh elevates him and this kid becomes the right-hand man to the Pharaoh. He executes a plan to mitigate the coming famine. And they build up a lot of 
storage of food, storehouses of food prepared for the famine to come. And sure enough, the story ends with Joseph not only providing for Egypt, but his own family, including the very brothers that beat him up and sold him into slavery. He rescues his family and brings them into Egypt. And the sun sets on Genesis, and everybody lives happily ever after. Joseph has finally fixed it. Then you turn the page to Exodus, and uh uh-oh, it turns out all these that were saved from famine were saved into slavery themselves. And now they are a nation of slaves. Yeah, if you, if you take it apart and read it and snip it, all, all it looks like is a bunch of human failure. Failure after failure after failure. And you have to do the long read to really understand, to start seeing the picture crystallized that the question isn't who is going to fix this. The, sorry, the question isn't how are they going to fix it. It is who is going to fix this. I will be with you. I will come along. It's not about you It's about me doing something much bigger, much better. It's not that you can take what I'm giving you and sprinkle it on. You're never gonna be able to repair it with a great Bible verse. You don't need something, you need someone, right? The next blank on your page is the narrative of scripture is that my life can't be repaired, it must be replaced. It must be replaced, right? Because all I got is bad news. I mean, isn't your life that way? I wake up in the morning anxious sometimes because I know, I know the problems I got to face today. And I can't believe what's going on in the national media these days. I can't believe the stories. It's a crazier story today than it was yesterday. The storm's blowing harder now than it was a month ago. I mean, it's just getting crazier and crazier what's going on in our lives. It's dark, it's broken, it's all a disaster. And all of us deal with this because we are all fallen and sinful creatures. And the wages of our sin is, come on, what is it? The wages of sin is death. All of us are destined, doomed for eternal death because of our own sin. It looks really, really bad. That's the bad news of the word of God, but it isn't all bad. There is good news. The good news is that God loves you so much that he sent in a replacement. He sent his only son who replaced you in death. Right? He stood in for you and said, I know that you've blown it. I know that you've sinned. I know that you have become a rebel against your father in heaven, but I'll take the blame. And I'll take the punishment, wages of sin, death. I'll die in your place. So he replaces me in death. He goes to that grave and three days later, he rose again so that he can replace me in life. If I'm gonna follow him, I must die to myself and let him live in and through me. Am I right? Following Jesus is a lifelong 
lifestyle of repentance and faith, of turning from my old and saying, God, I want to let you live new in and through me. That's what this is really all about. So I can't approach the scripture and say, how can I put a Band-Aid on it? How can I put some duct tape around it? How can I find the right little nugget to give me the fix that I need? When you approach God's word trying to solve your temporary problems, you're approaching it exactly backwards. You're never gonna find the solution that you're looking for there because the word of God is not the Band-Aid of God, it's the breath of God. Right, it's the breath of God. In Hebrews 12, 29, it says that our God is a consuming fire, right? He's there to consume you. In Malachi 3, who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like the blazing fire that refines metal or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Yeah, he wants to come and change everything about you, right? The word of God is there, not just so that you'll know more, but so that you'll become more. That's why he gives us his word. In other words, next blank on your page, God's word isn't just about information, it's about transformation. It's not about just giving you the right thing to fix your problem, it's about changing you, transforming you into who he wants you to become. So as a Christ follower, how does that work out in my life? Right, let's look back at this passage that uh, Paul writes to Timothy again. He says this, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So man, the scripture does a lot in our lives, but I love the way Paul's describing it. So we looked at this verse earlier, but I love that Paul made up a word here. Yeah, the word of God is so different. It's so much bigger. It so supersedes everything else that Paul didn't even have a word to describe what it really is. So Paul makes up a word here. He makes up a word that is found nowhere in the Greek language ever in history until this point. So Paul you, he makes up a word that we translate right here, inspired by God. Scripture is inspired by God. And Paul's word here, the word that he makes up is the word theonustos. Theonustos, Greek word. And he, he makes up this word by cramming two other existing Greek words together. He uses the word theo, which means, come on, it means what? God, Theo means God, and then Neustos means spirit. In the Hebrew mind, in the Hebrew mind, spirit and breath 
are linked together in the same thing. So pneuma, the word pneuma can mean spirit, but it can also mean breath. Especially with this modifier at the end, nishtos has, it means breath. So he's saying that scripture is the God breath. Literally the out breathing of God. God's word isn't just some good, nice, duct tape, band-aid, salty, pithy things that sound good. It's actually the breath of God for us. George W. Knight from Knox Seminary says, Paul appears to be saying here that all scripture has as its source God's breath and that and that this is its essential characteristic. All scripture, I like the way the ESV translates it, all scripture is breathed out by God. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to just take a really deep breath and hold it in for just a second. And let it out. You feel that surge? You feel what that does to you? You feel it kind of gives you a little shot of energy there? It's cleansing. How many of you guys like me have had COVID? Come on, let me see if your hands have had COVID. You've had it, okay. Most of us in the room have had it. Most of us, we're all gonna get it sooner or later. It's okay, not a big deal. I had it in 2020. I had the original early version of it and it stunk, man, it was awful. Uh, I didn't like it very much at all. Anybody like COVID? That's what I thought. The current versions are much weaker, I think, now for the most part, and so not as big of a deal. But for me, it knocked me down pretty good for about a week. Uh, I had it for about a week. You know, I had a fever all week long. I didn't eat. Uh, I just slept on and off the whole time. And um, I didn't have much of a cough or anything for some reason. I just, it was kind of like the flu for me. Um, and it was just fever all the time. I just felt terrible. I had that fatigue and that heavy, you know, thick head and just, it was just, you know, I was out of it for about a week. I went home from a prayer meeting feeling just awful and I went home and laid down and just stayed in bed. And so I had it. That anybody else, can you relate to me on that? Yeah, so I had it for about a week and then it was a week later when my fever finally broke. And I felt so much, I mean, as soon as my fever broke, dude, I felt better. I felt like I was cured, it's over, and I'm done with it. And so I got up, got a shower. My wife was really surprised to see me up and so spry and ready to go. I said, I'm ready to go tackle the world. And uh, I just, I can't believe how much better I feel. I'm going outside, I haven't been out in a week. I'm gonna go outside and I'm just gonna walk the hills of Kusawati because that's what I feel like doing. And she's like, okay, fat boy, good luck with that, you know? Um, and so I walked out, I mean, really, I felt like just charging, you know, I was gonna walk up to the water tower and all that stuff, uh, like I used to do before COVID all the time. And I walked out and walked up my short gravel driveway, and before I could get to the asphalt of the road, I was doubled over and unable to breathe. Can you relate, anybody relate to that? And for the following several weeks after having COVID, I, I really had trouble breathing. I felt great, I felt fine, 
but I could not take more than just a shallow little <gasps> breath. Just a little sm small breath. So walking down and up the four steps onto my deck, my front deck coming in and out of the house was a struggle. I had to, I had to wait for a minute. I was on breathing treatments for a while. And my sister, who's in the medical profession, she was like, you need to stay down, stay down. You just need to rest. Don't leave the house. You just need to, your lungs need to recover. And I'm like, when do they ever recover by laying down? I got to push them. I got to push this junk out, whatever it is. So I just, I started just walking. You know, the first day I, I got to the asphalt and I came back in. Um, but the next day I, I walked down the road a little bit and then I came back and I just walked further and further and further each day, just kind of trying to get that junk out of me. And you know, it worked, it was several weeks, but that stuff finally kind of got out of there. And I'll never forget the day I finally felt like I could really <sighs> scoop a full lungs worth of air. It felt so good, it felt so cleansing. I had for so long been so limited in my capacity and finally I could get the oxygen that I needed to be able to do what I needed to do to be the person that I was supposed to be. It felt so good to be able to finally do that. Listen, as long as you are approaching the scripture that it's gonna be the, the, the duct tape or the band-aid for the problem that you're dealing with now, you're always gonna come up a little bit short because what he wants to do, dirt person, is for you to return to the garden where he first formed us. And he wants to breathe his breath into your lungs afresh and anew and bring life into you. He doesn't want you to read for nuggets and snippets. He wants you to long read that thing, to consume it, for it to be what is saturating you, consuming you. He doesn't want you to be just a consumer of the word. He wants it to consume you. He wants it to be the very breath that you breathe. He wants his word to be the thing that forms your thoughts, the thing that anchors your soul. He wants you to think in terms of his thoughts. He wants to translate who he is into you so that you can breathe in his goodness. That's what the word of God is really all about. Is it consuming you? I'm doing a class this afternoon. I, I told you about this earlier. I'm doing a class this afternoon. It's called the New Life Class. It's gonna be right after this service. We're gonna go straight from here into that class pretty much upstairs. And this class is about what to do now that I've made a decision for Christ, what do I do next? And I just want you to know, uh, we, talk about, we talk about a couple of important things in this class. Uh, we talk about number one, the spiritual growth unlock key. The key to unlocking spiritual growth in your life. I think it's amazing 
because we talk about it all the time, yet I see people, we got a long list of names, don't we, Stephen? A long list of names of people that have said, I've turned my life over to Christ. I wanna follow him with my life. And so we talk about the first step, the very first step of obeying him, following him, and most Christians refuse. Most Christians refuse step one of following Christ. No wonder we're weak. No wonder we're anemic. No wonder all we can do is scoop a little COVID breath of him. No wonder we aren't experiencing his presence in our lives when we refuse step one of five. How can you even call yourself a Christ follower when you refuse him at step one? So we cover that spiritual growth unlock key in this class. And we also talk about the spiritual growth engine in this class. I'm convinced in scripture, Jesus gives us a couple of key things that when we follow him in these ways, when we practice these things in our life, it's like an engine that fires spiritual growth in us. And it helps us to grow to become more and more like him if we'll just obey him, if we'll just follow him in these key areas. So we talk about that in the New Life class. And that's gonna happen right after this. I'd love to invite you, if you've turned your life over to Christ, but you don't really feel like you're experiencing new life, feels same old, same old, and God's word feels like just a snippet or a sound bite here and there to you, do I'd love to invite you to come to this class. Lunch is provided, and I don't know if we're gonna have 20 people there, but I'd love for you to come. Hang around after the service, no big deal. Let us help you with this. That's the first thing that we're doing uh, today after church. Second thing we're doing uh, that I've just thrown in because pff, I'm a glutton for punishment, but because I wanna help you uh, I wanna help you build your house. Uh, we're talking about the word of God. And so I've just decided that tonight at six o'clock, I'm gonna throw in uh, my no God's word crash course. It's a one night, 90 minute long talk about the word of God. What even really is it? Do we understand even what it is? Where did it come from? How did we get it today? What, how is it organized? What's it ordered for? And what's it really trying to do in my life? So it's kind of a 90 minute long class just about the word of God. And I, I made this class so that you would understand his word better. And I just wanna help you build. I don't wanna be here all day long, but I wanna help you. So I'm doing this class tonight. So I'd love to invite you to come back. This is a no frills class. There's not gonna be dinner and everything. We'll have lunch at the New Life, not having dinner tonight at six o'clock. Uh, you're just gonna come for about 90 minutes. We'll have coffee and water. And, and, and I'll, I'll, I, just, I just want you to learn about the word of God. Would you, would you come to that tonight? I'd love for you to come. It'll be right here in this room and it doesn't cost you anything. I'm just doing this because I'm desperate to help you build your house. So please come to the New Life class right after church or to tonight's No God's Word crash course uh, that I've got together. I just, want you to, I just want you to know God's Word. 
So the imagery that God gives us when he's speaking to Joshua, let's go back to that first story that we looked at at the beginning of this message. He's speaking to Joshua. Joshua, you're taking over from Moses. And he says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. And I love the Hebrew word that he uses here for meditate. You've probably heard me describe this before. It's a great Hebrew word. It's this visceral thick word that I love to just say because it's cool. The word is Hagah. Okay, I'm gonna say it again and you say it with me. The word is Hagah, yeah, Hagah. It's this word that yes, we translate it meditate, but it's a word picture. It's a word that evokes this image of a predator over its prey. Think of a lion who has just taken down a deer and he's got that deer all to himself. And maybe this lion hadn't eaten in days and he's really, really hungry. And this deer is the best thing he could have ever dreamed of. And so this lion now has killed this deer and at this point, he's got his face all down in it. And he's just going to town on it, like your dog when you hadn't fed it all day and you finally feed it, you know? He's just down in this thing and, and he's, he's not just eating, he's feasting. And you can tell he's feasting, not just because of what you see, but because of what you hear. The lion's literally got his face down, just, just going all in it. You know, for some of you ladies, sort of like your husband, you know, when you have steak at dinner time, just all down, just all down in it. When the lion, Justin reminded me of this, when the lion is hagaing that deer, you can tell even if you don't hear because when, you, when he looks up at you, it's all over him. It just kind of covers his face and his upper body, right? We've been there. We've seen it. <laughs> it's just all over him. And when you're haggaiing the scripture, you can tell. It's just all over you. He doesn't want you to just snip at this thing. He wants you to feast on it. He wants you to roll it around in your mouth. He wants it to be what comes out of you all the time as you're speaking it and saying it, as you are letting it consume you as you consume it. It forms you and it shapes you and it turns you into the person God wants you to become. So my question for you, the last blank on your page is, will I allow scripture to form me? Will I allow scripture to form me? Will I stop taking it for granted as if it were designed to be a bunch of sound bites? Or will I allow it to form me into who he wants me to become? Mm -hmm.